Yeah, so I don't think St. Stephen is the patron saint of, of boxing. boxing, boxing. Pugilism. No. Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 85 of the Engage and Equip podcast. The Engage and Equip podcast is a resource designed to help form substantive disciples for the local church. My name is Nicole Kyle, and on this next episode, you'll listen to a conversation between me and our lead pastor, Nick Gibson, and our associate senior pastor, Lloyd Biddle. In fall of 2018, we did a series called Entrusted, where we talked about stewardship, how God has entrusted us with everything. We own nothing, but we govern everything. As a closing sermon, Nick wanted to preach on some application points, but he knew he wouldn't be able to cover everything in his sermon. And so he wanted to be able to give a lot of the cutting room floor uh, content here on our podcast. So you'll hear myself and Lloyd and Nick discuss a lot of uh, application steps when it comes to stewardship. So we hope you enjoy as you listen. So, hey, everyone. Uh, welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast. And so basically what we're doing right now is this is going to be a podcast on the last sermon of the um, Entrusted series. Entrusted series. Mm-hmm. And so basically I'm writing out my sermon and it was just going to focus on practical, very direct stuff. And I've got a couple of ministry colleagues here with me to help me. So I'm hoping they're going to say like four times each in this podcast, that needs to be in the sermon. <laughs> so, because um, basically what happens in sermons when you have time to write them is 80% of the stuff you want to say ends up on the cutting room floor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you just say like 20% and that's all you get to do. So we're going to decide some of that stuff now, but you'll get to hear some of the cutting room floor stuff. So I'm with Lloyd Biddle, who's our associate pastor, and um, he preaches about 12 times a year here. He's one of our, he's probably the most other preaching outings at High Point, And then mm-hmm. Nicole's our worship director. And um, so there it is. Yeah. So it's, it's um, good to be with you. Yeah. Yeah. So the first part of this sermon, as it's written right now, is that is the principles of stewardship we've covered over the substance series and the entrusted series, which are God owns everything. Ultimately, we are in charge of everything that's in our hands or within our trust. Stewardship summarizes our role and Jesus role, right? He was faithful over all God's house. We need to think of him that way. Fourth is stewardship is our original identity and creation and our destiny in restoration. So it's where we're going ultimately. It's what we were created to be in Genesis 1. It says that we're to be stewards. Number five is, is that we're free from the slavery of the law to the stewardship of virtue, meaning that Jesus didn't ju- just die to free us from the slavery of sin. He freed us from the directives of the law, not so we wouldn't fulfill them, but so they wouldn't constrain us from doing the ultimate good. We're free to figure out what the good is through virtue, through love, and not just through what we're told to do. So we're not slaves, we're stewards. Then six is we're free to invest our trust for the good we're supposed to invest. And John 17 says we're sent into the world for that. So we're supposed to do it in the world. And then seven is faithful, fruitful, and ferocious stewardship can only blossom in the death of worldliness. Mm-hmm. And that's a major theme in the steward- mm-hmm. in the uh, substance series. So mm-hmm. if you want more on that, which is an incredibly important idea uh, the substance series will be great for that. So then the idea is that'll mm-hmm. be like the first, hopefully seven minutes of the sermon. Mm-hmm. And then what I'll do is I want to say, okay, I want to get really, really practical because we've done a lot of theology. I want to talk about 10 areas of your life and tell you some things you could do to be a good steward. And my goal is not to say you must do these things. My goal is to say, I want to generate your own imagination towards application because I think that discipleship requires the reinstitution and re-enlivening of the human imagination. 
which is designed to fill our minds with, with possibilities and then to use discernment to figure out which ones we should do. That's also covered in the substance book, right? Before you jump into that one, from these different, these seven principles, I think that you probably should spend the most time on number five if you're going to spend the most time somewhere, which is that we are free from the slavery. We are free from sin and from the law. Yeah. Because you hit that, both of you, and I actually think, Lloyd, you preached on this when we went through substance. But I also remember one time when we were just discussing substance Mm -hmm. as a staff team. And Lloyd, you talked about, you used an example of curfews in the malls. Right. And you talked about how there's like, there's a lot of violence. And so what we've resorted to is in, Changing the rules. Changing the rules, but that that's not true freedom. And uh, so I think that um, I think that's nuanced enough that people, it's something that needs to keep being brought to the forefront. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think it's it's nuanced and it's like one of the most 10 most important principles right. a Christian could possibly know. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, so yeah. yeah. And so I have my, just finished reading Substance for my third time. Wow. And what sticks out the most from my third reading of the book is point number five, this idea of us being free from the slavery of the law and mm-hmm. uh, to be stewards virtuously. And Nick spends a lot of time talking about the freedom that we have and how we can be creative. And I remember the illustration of the jazz musician mm-hmm. walking in step with the spirit. So if you want mm-hmm. to go deeper into some of these things, I do encourage you to look at substance again, maybe the first time if you've not read it, or again, if you uh, have yeah, and so those would be the two chapters on free vir- freedom and virtue Yeah, uh, in, in section two of the book. Freedom from and freedom for. Freedom from and freedom for, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, so jumping into direct personal applications, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, one is your, your own heart and soul. And so I'm just going to read what I wrote and then let you guys comment on it, okay? Mm-hmm. So one, um, your most important stewardship, your most difficult leadership, and your most critical investment is yourself. If you get this wrong, you can't get hardly anything else right. And see the substance series for more on this. Okay. Second, I'm not talking about investment in pedicures or me time watching TV. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about real rest and real training, mm-hmm. which includes for me devotional times, mm-hmm. which are practices that build devotion, which for a Christian should always at least include some reading of the Bible and some prayer. Mm-hmm. Fellowship or community with, or mentoring with other believers, utilizing other humans to help train you and help yep. you grow worshiping God directly, attending to the one who is unseen, but who is there in the central reality of your life. And then the activities of spirituality, repenting of what you know you did wrong, obeying God and the things you should do, serving others and engaging in mission that without those four things, all of the other things we do to grow ourselves end up being self-focused and they make us emotionally fat. And it would say we got to need to take all those calories we take in, so to speak, kind of like a somebody trying to get in shape. You take in all those calories and then you need to work out. Mm-hmm. And without repentance, obedience, service, and missions, yeah. that never happens. So that I think that self-stewardship is central and critical. Yeah, I think that that um, workout analogy is very helpful. That you ha- Like all those other things are good, but you have to do something with them. It's good to enjoy God and it's good to worship him and enjoy your time with him or work, enjoy reading his word and praying with him. But it also should do something. We, we should do something with that enjoyment. It, his kindness should lead us to repentance, to want to grow, to want to change. And so that won't happen if all we're doing is just indulging in the things that feel good, but not also 
responding when we feel conviction and apologizing to someone or apologizing to God. Or, and I think the the idea that if you don't get this right, it's hard to make the Christian life work for you. Uh, one of the other ideas you have in substance is you say, our Christianity doesn't work. Well, if that's true, that some of us can be walking with Christ for a long time and have this feeling that it's just not quite working out, mm-hmm. it's because of this issue that we don't get this right as a foundation, and then we try to build upon it, and we're building upon sand. So it doesn't yeah. work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. This case second is your physical body. So First Corinthians mm. 6, 19 and 7 says, don't you, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you receive from God? You're, you're not your own. You were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your body. Mm. So that gets puts it back to nothing is ultimately ours, even our bodies. Now, the context of that in 1 Corinthians 6 is sexual immorality, but I think it does work well as a larger principle, right? Mm-hmm. Paul says in the chapter before, uh, everything is lawful for me, to, but not everything's beneficial. Mm-hmm. Everything's lawful, but I won't be mastered by anything. That's mm-hmm. more. That's about sexual immorality, but it's about more than that. Much broader. Right? That This is the broader topic that decides sexual immorality for us, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's five, five things I've, I'm saying about stewarding your physical body. Mm-hmm. One is... You are made for work and you should work. Wholesome work is good for you. Mm-hmm. Two, you need to rest well. Yes, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Sabbath. He is in himself our Sabbath rest. But the Sabbath is also a law of creation in nature. And that isn't put aside in Christ's death and resurrection. It is a fact of reality. We have to rest well. Third is exercise. That we should exercise not for our vanity, but for our vigor, for our energy and health. And that um, if you do that... And you don't need to like have a gym membership. Like, so, like there's a lot of 12 minute workouts. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and uh, apparently I was told recently that there's a number of studies that have said, actually there was a Nobel prize apparently award for this. I don't know the name of the doctor, a chiropractor that goes here told me about this, that 90% of brain activity stimulation comes from spinal movement. Hmm. So doing things where you move around your spine a lot, like toe touches and things like that disproportionately invigorate brain activity. It's that of course helps you with number one mm-hmm. related to your soul, but it also helps you in your work and your mm-hmm. thinking, everything you do. So mm-hmm. um, this is one of those goals. So third is exercise. Fourth is eat well. I just wrote our food mm-hmm. culture in America is great for providing calories that keep us from starving, mm-hmm. but it's quite bad for encouraging health. Most Americans need to eat less and eat different foods to have healthy energy bodies that we were made for. One of the ways that I think this displays itself in America is you see all these signs about how many people are hungry but the number one health problem in the poor is obesity. Mm-hmm. 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 Nick, do, who's the, the pastor at Mecklenburg Church in North Carolina? You, oh, um, the guy I used to be the, Jan- the president oh. of Gordon Conwell. Uh, used to be he. Uh, I know was, who you're talking. You know about. what I'm talking I can't about. Think of his name. Man, he writes a blog, uh, and recently it was convicting to me so this, since this is an area where I struggle eating well mm-hmm. it, about how in the church that this is a problem. So as he has looked at research on um, national research that's been put out, this, this appears to be a problem in the church anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. We're no it's better important. at this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's key. And so I think for a lot of us, we need to like, figure out how to get a handle on this. Some mm-hmm. of us need to eat more protein so we don't snack as much. Mm-hmm. There was a, 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 in a, a talk by one psychologist that I like. He said, when you get up in the morning, try to eat something fairly heavy in protein as early as possible. 
So you're, so you're like your glucose and stuff doesn't get all crazy for the whole day and you can't ever recover from it and you'll think better the whole day you'll live, but you'll also have protein in your stomach, which makes you less prone to snack throughout the day. Right. Mm -hmm. But there's all kinds of stuff written on how to do this. Like if you, if you Google, like how to keep myself from snacking or any of these questions, you're going to have lots of things. The question is, do you want to do it? Mm -hmm. And can you, and, and honestly, like accountability, like honest, I have rules that I've told my wife about what I will or will not eat. She has the right to like publicly shame me in our house because like, it's not easy to overcome the drive to eat. Mm-hmm. And it's one, it's the, it, that and sex are probably our two strongest bodily desires that don't care about our thinking. Mm-hmm. And so they're two of the things we struggle with the most, I think. Yeah. And then last is mental health. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wrote, if your soul isn't well, you will destroy your body either from internal yes. stress or from self-medicating with things like foods or drugs or self-destructive behaviors like sexual immorality and so on. So if you don't deal with the stuff going on in your soul, in your heart, it will cause you to do things or it'll affect your body. There's a book called uh, The Body Keeps the Score Mm -hmm. that talks about how your body keeps the score on trauma, your body keeps the score on stress. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And your body Mm -hmm. knows stuff, your body knows stuff that your mind won't know. Yeah. doesn't want to know yeah i yeah. haven't heard of this book but i am intrigued by that yeah because i've this... experienced that a lot on a personal yeah. level yeah yeah but i've not read about that right yeah you, well, you still, I... you've, you've had a long walk through like trying to deal with trauma and how it's affected you and yeah you know, and i think i was just as you were talking i was thinking through i can look back at pictures of me mm-hmm. in different seasons and i can absolutely tell how stressed i was based on my weight yeah mm. like I, I was just really underweight i ate horribly but Mm -hmm. wasn't gaining weight from that because i was just so stressed Mm -hmm. and i can see that when i look at back and you can't think and you don't have energy Mm -hmm. and you can't focus yeah and i just some stuff would fall asleep at the drop of a hat anywhere any time of day and the worst thing you can do when you're going through this what i found is hide it try to stuff it down it'll go away Mm -hmm. it doesn't Mm -hmm. doesn't go away you need you need some friends involved. You need some counseling, spiritual advice. Maybe you can get that at church, maybe professionally. But you need to kind of deal with the roots of it mm-hmm. and attack it. Yeah, yeah. Dan Allender, a Christian psychologist, said for a lot of these things, what is necessary is you need to share them verbally mm-hmm. with an empathetic person. Who yes. Yeah. Amen. It doesn't necessarily have to be a counselor. Right. Yeah. And I have found, like some of you guys know, that I have had some stress symptoms for several years. Mm-hmm. And I've had people pray, and sometimes when it's prayed, they've abated well. And then they've sort of slowly come back in little bits. Mm-hmm. And I think I've recently come to realize that, like, God is not going to take them away because they are signals. Mm-hmm. And so yes. the, it's, it's an, this is an opportunity and that needs to be taken. And as I've, I've dealt with some of it, oh, man, I mean, the embarrassment and the pain <laughs> and the, like, yeah. it's, it's just horrible. Yeah. Um, but, man, it's good. Yeah. Right. And so... And I think that, and I think that that is affecting my body, my mm-hmm. physical body positively. Yeah. And the relationship between our bodies and our minds, because we're in sold, embodied souls, mm-hmm. is is just it's an undeniable reality. Yeah, I think for me, as I look through this list of these five things, mm-hmm. mental health is the easiest for me to understand how this is a way that I am stewarding what God has given me. I think it's easiest for mm-hmm. me to connect this to spirituality. And I would yeah. say that's probably true for a lot of millennials, especially. We just, we love counseling. Mm-hmm. And I think counseling is great. Like mm-hmm. this is not me bashing counseling mm-hmm. at all. I, mm-hmm. I It has been hugely helpful for me in dealing yeah. with trauma in my Do life. Do you think... Do you, okay, so let me ask you a combative question. That's fine. I know that millennials love counseling and it doesn't have the stigma for them it has had for previous generations. Mm-hmm. Do you think 
that millennials are any more interested in changing than other generations of people? I don't know. I I'm not sure. I don't feel they like might. I, can I think they might that. be more genera- genera- generationally attuned to having experienced generations that have not engaged in trying to f- solve this stuff mm-hmm. and seeing that it produces bad results. Nick, what it's, I've seen is they're more transparent, and that I think that allows them to be open to get help. Mm-hmm. So by saying it, hey, I got a problem. Now, whoever is counseling my friend or a pastor, whomever, is able now to try to reach in and be of help. Whereas mm-hmm. in my generation, we didn't even want to go to first step. We didn't yeah. want to say, I'm struggling with this. And so yeah. no one really could step in. It yeah. would be much harder for, for Nicole to speak into my life because I wouldn't admit that I was struggling. Yeah. So I think they do better in that regard. I do yeah. think that some of it depend. like, I think it's important to have a good therapist who knows that the goal is not for you to stay in counseling forever. And I had good therapists who said that, yeah. who said the goal is for you to get better and then to be able to move on Amen. and not right. have to stay here, which I do think it means change and growth. So yeah. I'm grateful for that. But for me, that took, in one instance, it took um, a, like a year and a half. Mm-hmm. But then at the end of that year and a half, I... I felt like I had healed a lot from the trauma mm-hmm. that I went through. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think if you've got a good therapist, they know that you're not supposed to stay there forever. Yeah. Would you say that's true of a good mentor too? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. I think that's a universal. Yeah. So if you're mentoring someone too, or pastoring or discipling or your therapist. That you should, you should get to the, to a point where you can say you've gotten to the end of that issue and you can move on. But, um, but I think that where I, I need help is just more like, a better understanding of how me eating well is significant to how I'm honoring God. Yeah. Not that it, I think that we just don't think about that often. When I go to the fridge, you don't, you don't before you're about 38. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. And not because mm-hmm. I think sometimes people, when they get older, they think about themselves a little more. They're like, Oh, I don't want to look the way I'm starting to look. Mm-hmm. But even still, is it that they're just thinking more about that or are they actually thinking, no, I want to honor God. I want to be able to use my body well for his kingdom for the rest of my life. And if I, yeah. see, you know what I no, mean? No, I think, I think vanity and pleasure drives a lot of it. So yeah. when you're mm-hmm. younger, I think pleasure drives it because your body can handle it. And then I think somewhere around 35, you start thinking, okay, my body's not going to look like I want it to. Yeah. And then somewhere around 51, you, it starts <laughs> being like, okay, look, you're, you're pre-diabetic. You're, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Your right. knees aren't feeling good. You're mm-hmm. like you're starting to feel like the literal physical costs. Yeah. Yes. And, and so I think I, I think it changes. But I think those are all those are all in a sense all still worldly. Yeah. Yes. Right. That's and what so I mean. Yeah. You want to start at like the earliest age possible and say, My body exists for me to glorify God. Right. Yes. Because I think I'm thinking of escaping Babel where you've mm-hmm. talked about uh if you want to be married someday and you want to have children someday, you have to make choices a lot sooner than that day to get there. And I think that we need to understand better how our bodies are a way to honor God and serve him and his kingdom sooner so that it isn't just vanity driving us and it isn't just, and we don't make these, like I've said, "Eh, I've got a great, really fast metabolism, so I'm fine. Like that's not gonna serve me well in honoring God with my body the rest of my life. If I wanna be able to do those things physically, Mm -hmm. I have to make choices now. Right, and there's a whole line of thought here we can enter into about about eating immodesty, about how like we eat together Right. And how we eat together affects how the other people around us are eating. It's like the uh, how mm. um, new husbands, if they're not warned, when their wives get pregnant for the first time, they like often the eat between oh, yeah. 10, 10 and 20 pounds. Right. Because right. their wife's just eating more. And so mm. they, they just eat more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And But if you tell one of those husbands, hey, 
So I, Andy DeMoto, this happened with him, uh, Bethany's pregnant, right? And I told him, right, when I found out she was pregnant, I said, listen, this is what happens. And he was like, really? He's lost like seven pounds mm-hmm. since she's Because he's paid pregnant. attention. Because he's paying attention. Oh, yeah. yeah. And that's what happened to me. I, mm-hmm. When my wife got pregnant, I shared that at basketball. I was playing with a bunch of guys, businessmen, and one guy was like, oh, get ready to gain 20 pounds. I was like, what do you mean? He told me. I was like, oh. Yeah. That was very helpful for me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So of, the, of these things on this, what should be in the sermon? So I guess, yeah, the main thing I'm saying is if you're going to go into these, it needs, I think what needs to be helpful is this isn't just about vanity and looking good when you're 58. Right. This is about honoring God with your body when you're 58. Yes. And if he has called you to steward things in a particular way, is your body going to be able to serve you in that? Okay. Because I get that with mental health. I, I think it's easiest for me to make that connection with mental health. But for some of the other things, it's harder. Okay. I think if you have to choose between the five of things that maybe you may not have preached on or we haven't as a church preached on much, probably the exercise, eat well, yeah, is, is, is space, is green space. And I, I, think. Do, I do think those connect a lot to worldliness. Yes, and absolutely. The American culture of... Excess, which gets us to number three, which is use of time. Because I think a lot of the reason why people don't work out and eat well is because they don't take the time to shop well and think about what they're going to buy or the time to work out. I mean, to to think that we don't have time in our day to read our Bible and to have any kind of devotional time and that we don't have time to work out even for a 12 minute workout tells us, I mean, that's got to tell us something because we're not loving others and being productive the rest of the time. Nick, literally next uh, Tuesday, I have a meeting with a dietitian at, at Hy-Vee at Fitchburg. She's going to walk me through what the store has for healthy eating options, oh, awesome. me- meals that are eat, that are healthy, that you can uh, cook quickly and that kind of thing, mm-hmm. literally next Tuesday. And that's I think cool. up till now, it's been, you know, investing the time to, to think about that and to plan meals out hasn't been something that I've been wanting to do. Yeah. Yeah. Now I want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think really this cool. is the whole Entrusted series. Time has been the thing that Scott and I have talked the most about because we have a young one-year-old at home and we're both working full time. Mm-hmm. And so our, uh, the time that we can use is just, it's, we've got to figure out how we're going to use it wisely. And so after you walk through this, I can, Talk yeah, let me quick walk it. through it. So mm-hmm. Americans watch TV for almost 20 hours a week. That's more among poor and minority communities, but it's more than 15 for almost everybody. Um, for couples under 30 years old, if they divorce, the number one complaint for why they divorce now is video game play, usually That's for so the male. Crazy. But um, three, social media, YouTube, and news mm-hmm. can chew up incredible amounts of time. Yep. And, and usually you're self-righteous if you're one of these and not the other. So you'll watch somebody watch YouTube for four hours, but you're on Twitter forever and you're like oh those YouTube watchers and yeah. there are some people that are just mm-hmm. they're news junkies mm-hmm. and there's so much so I had a seminary professor who said listen less than 1% of news will become history <laughs> yeah right. right it makes sense Crazy. you do not need to follow the news yeah. especially yeah. in the 24 hour news cycle yeah. Yeah. you can get like you can get a summary at the end of the day or something yep. and it's fine mm-hmm. right yeah. there's this actually this magazine out called The Week and it has a little bit of a left slant, but it's covering all left media, right? Mm-hmm. So it's that's normal. Mm-hmm. Um, but it like it will summarize the whole week for you, and so you get it on like Thursday or something. And it'll summarize the whole earlier week, and it you know it'll tell you both sides of most stuff, and you're done, and yeah. you're done, right? Yeah. And so, um, and you can also just with friends, you know, you can just share what stuff you've bumped into, but you can't fall for that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So and then um, because we live in a wealthy culture, 
we live leisure and entertainment based lives. And so you have to know this and actively resist it. Here's uh, five strategies. One, pre-decision. Make predetermined decisions about media and gaming usage. When are you and when are you not going to play? What is the most you'll play? What days do you play? What days don't you play? Mm-hmm. Etc. Two, tell other people what your predecisions are and ask them to hold you accountable to it, especially in small group, but also your spouse, family, whatever. Mm-hmm. Three, use tech to fight tech. There are some technologies that can help you with this. Some are just straight accountability like Covenant Eyes. Mm-hmm. I use a Covenant Eyes and it does, it does more than just alert other people if I were to look at pornography. It also alerts my accountability partner about when I'm shopping about when I'm watching YouTube. And so Dan Pinka, who's my accountability elder partner, he can, he'll can he look at that not just for whether I, I've looked at pornography because that's never happened in the eight years I've used it with him. Um, but he can also look at, am I on eBay for an hour on Thursday from two to three, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. when I'm supposed to be working, yeah. mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it, there's more accountability. Just And then also like I use an app called Pocket, mm-hmm. which you can save websites to. So if I'm searching for like a sermon or something, I get distracted by an article and I'm like, I really kind of want to read this article. I can click the Pocket app. It mm-hmm. sends it to that app. Then I can leave the page because I know I have it in my reading documents. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if I really want to read it later, I will. And if I don't, then I'll just delete it from pocket. And that sometimes that happens. So that allows me to not get caught up in the distraction when I'm supposed to be working. Because so many of us now work in front of computers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're working in front of a distraction portal. Mm -hmm. And it's so easy to have just a knee-jerk reaction to. And for a lot of guys, it's looking at pornography. But for a lot of people, it's opening YouTube and playing music that distracts you. Mm -hmm. It's shopping. Mm -hmm. It's surfing the web. It's looking up the actresses like career from the movie you saw totally. last night right, right it's like right, all right. that kind of stuff you know mm-hmm. and that all kills your time yeah for get media devices out of key places so i've we've, i've always told couples for 20 years to keep tvs out of your bedroom um but there's many tech people are now saying keep your phone out of your bedroom yeah mm-hmm. don't bring the phone to the table when you eat mm. yeah don't cool. take it out with you when you go on dates and stuff. Sometimes oh people God. will say that. Just mm-hmm. have one person bring their phone and nobody else. Yep. Yeah. Um, I put my phone in the most difficult pocket to get it out of. Oh, funny. So it's a little, because it's, you know, it's a quick little thing, but it's a little bit of a chore to get it out. Mm-hmm. And so that helps me to take it out less. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then also, um, I silence all but the most important notifications. So if my phone is not on silent, and my phone is always on silent. Mm-hmm. But if it's on, it, well, it's usually on vibrate. Mm-hmm. But the only notifications I get is a phone call and a text message and that's it no mm-hmm. emails no I don't even have Facebook on my phone no mm-hmm. tweets yeah. nothing you can also I don't know about Android phones but I know that on Apple phones you can specify particular contacts that can come through so um, you can say I'm yeah. only gonna I will only get a notification if my spouse calls or texts me right right, right. when you know you got a problem is when you want to go on a date with your wife and you say hey we're gonna leave our phones at home and go on a date yeah. and there's there's pushback or if you if you're going with your two sons and they've got their phone, you tell them no, no phones, and we have a fight. Then you know you got a problem. That's a clue that you got a problem, right. and you might yeah. you might want to come up with some strategies like Nick is suggesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, a couple thoughts on this. I I've heard friends and acquaintances say things like, "Well, I just don't want to be super legalistic about it. Like I should just be able to handle it." And I what always is helpful for me in that is just to think about. Um, the passage that says to flee from sexual immorality. I think that there are times where we need to grow in strength, but there are times when if you have an issue, you just have to do everything you can to get away from it. Mm-hmm. And it's not the time mm-hmm. to say, I'm going to grow in strength because you're not strong yet. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. So um, I, I, there's an app that you can 
um, download for computers and it's called self-control. Um, but you can put websites on that app and then set a specific time allotment where you can't access those websites. So you can have a blacklist, like mm-hmm. those ones aren't allowed. And then a whitelist, these websites are allowed. And I used to use that in college when I was writing papers so that it, oh, yeah. I couldn't mm-hmm. go to my diversions, which I wanted to go to. And But I've yeah. started using it again here mm-hmm. because yeah. I don't want to get distracted. Yeah, Nick has talked yeah. about exercise and brutality and putting down worldliness. Yeah. This is an area mm-hmm. where all Americans, as those Christians and the, you know th- those of us who are know Jesus also need to think about where we can exercise brutality yeah. to, in order to gain control, self-control. Yeah. And um, I also think in regards to this, my temptation personally for the season of life I'm in is to say I am in, this is so silly because it's not true, but this is how I can get twisted. But I'm like, I'm in a hard stage. Like I'm, Scott and I are both working full time. Like other people, if they're a stay at home mom, they get to do these other things, which is an unfair thing for me to say and expect. But mm-hmm. even in that, like I, I, it was, I think towards the beginning of this series that I started realizing I'm just wasting so much time. And so there are way, like it really is a matter of being proactive. So I think that's a good thing to hit. Be proactive about this. Most people grow in this when they have to. Yeah. So like, that's why everybody thinks they're busy in college. Oh my goodness. And then they're busy when they get married and then they Mm -hmm. think they're busy when they have one child. Right. And then they look at families like we have four children, right? But I know families that have six children, right? And like you, you, what happens is, is that you get more efficient when you have to. Right. And your everything fills it up. So two other things I wrote is one is, um, you should probably revisit your time wasting stuff and its relationship to technology every few months. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because this is the kind of thing you can brutally kill it one day. And it can come right back. Totally. Mm-hmm. That has so been our fast. experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's cyclical for us. Yeah. So there seems sec- to be a lot of energy around this time issue. I'm just pointing that yeah. out. Yeah. 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 Okay. And then secondly, um, uh, one of the things I started doing is asking myself, every every time I take my phone out of my pocket, I ask, why am I taking my phone out of my pocket? Mm-hmm. That's good. And is this the best thing for me to be doing right now? Mm-hmm. And like, because I don't want to talk to people in the grocery store line, you know, and I'm going to wait there four minutes. Right. So, and what I found is, is that a lot of times when I ask myself that question intentionally, I'm like, no, you know what I should be doing right now? I should be talking to this person or I should be listening better or I should be engaging with this child or something. Okay. Um, this is just one, one example. So I think the reason I brought up the, like, I thought I had it bad is because I think there are a lot of people who are like, well, you don't know my life. You don't know how busy things are. Yeah. And so, um, something that, I decide one of the things that has been hard for me and Scott in this conversation with time has been like, how are we going to do meals? Cause we both get home around five 30. Luke goes yeah. to bed like six 30. So I made a shared Google doc with a handful of other friends of mine who are also part-time working moms or full-time working moms. And we share recipes that are quick recipes or that can be freezer meals so that I just can go directly to that spot. So I think when it's, it comes back to that kind of a thing that if you actually think about it and force yourself to realize you can change things, you can. So you don't have it as hard as you think you do probably. Nicole, when my wife started working more, we made a deal with myself when my two kids were at home about sharing meals. They, they kind of like to cook. I don't, but I could cook one meal a week. Yeah. And it really made a difference in her 
life and flexibility and time management for us to step up and take a night to make meals. So yeah. I, that your idea of sharing meals on the dock kind of yeah. helped me remind remind me of some some things that we can do together. Yeah. Your families can you do can together. make changes. Yeah, when you think yeah. you have no change you can make in your schedule, you can make changes. You can, yeah. Stuff that you don't consider thinkable mm-hmm. is possible. Yes, like respond. Your kids taking responsibility for something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, I, you know, I remember reading that a four year old can decently clean a bathroom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, I have a four-year-old, you know, mm-hmm. and I wonder if that's true. And I, I think that the age for cooking dinner is about 10. Mm-hmm. It might be a little less if you've got a precocious kid or if they're supervised at all. Yeah. That like around about 10, 11 years old, a kid can cook a reasonably good dinner. Yeah. If you just right. And the other thing too is like when Lexi left home at 18 years old, she honest to God couldn't cook one thing. Mm-hmm. Right. And her, because her mom was training her to be a good worker a good feminist woman and that's great i mean she's a very good feminist woman right but then she got married and she and the man like it wasn't i expected her to do it i just wasn't gonna cook and her desires as a woman for the beauty and the vitality and nurturing nature of the home like having good meals way outstripped mind as a man Mm-hmm. I'm way too pragmatic for that. Just why way I'm wired. And so she's like, somebody's gonna cook. I'm gonna cook. I need to cook. She had no idea how to cook. No mm. idea. She, so she honest to God made hamburger help her for about a month while she learned to make some other things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then over fifteen years she became a fabulous cook. Yeah. And um but now we, then we realized our kids weren't learning how to cook. Sure. And so at that right. point we had actually a chef friend that was coming over to our house and they they'd cook a little with him. And then they started watching some of the cooking shows and then we started having cook offs in our kitchen. And now Rachel yep. and Abby cook dinner. Like, and Jude is starting to cook now too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that you're not just making your kids do it. You are being a good parent. You mm-hmm. are preparing your children that. to live independently and be part of a family. Yeah, totally. Great. In terms of time strategies for parents, having your kids clean, cook, these are ways that they can get better hold of their time. Yeah, yeah. Because they're going to have to do it. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So number four through seven all kind of fit together under the title mm-hmm. of social justice. And the reason I use that term is because I keep trying to redefine this term, especially for younger people, but for mm-hmm. everyone, that social justice, that that phrase actually comes from the Roman Catholic tradition. And what it means in the Roman Catholic tradition is what you justly owe others socially. Okay. So we all have these concentric circles of responsibility going out. The further they are away, the less direct responsibility we have. And... What we justly owe others is is our contribution in social justice. Mm-hmm. That is, but that what that means is social justice is not whatever policies and government actions some people think will bring about a just society someday. Mm-hmm. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Mm-hmm. Now, part as we'll say with citizenship, part of your social just actions is to try to be an informed voter, which does affect who we would elect and what policies mm-hmm. then would mm-hmm. form our society. So there's a, kind of an oblique and small way social justice is related to politics, but it's not the main meaning. The main mm-hmm. meaning is how you relate to others. So the four co- concepts under social justice are family, friendship, neighbors, and citizenship. Now, obviously, it could be more than that, but that's a basic sketch. Family is just fairly simple. I think the issue with family is not that we don't know what to do. It's just we don't do it. Mm. What I find is that people aren't disciplined to be emotionally present with their family when they're home. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we're not listening to our family members. And what happens is we just don't have time for the problems and we just kind of ignore them. I think that's especially true for men because men aren't wired to be as anxious about the quality of our relationships. Women, statistically speaking, broadly, as a distribution, tend to be much much more anxious and worried, and they care a lot more about the the felt quality of relationships. 
um, which is why when when um, people become wealthy and divorce is wide open, women will divorce more in contexts like ours in Wisconsin. But in situations where um, where the quality of a relationship isn't the most important thing marriage offers, when instead wealth or something like that or fertility is, then men more often divorce. Hmm. And so it's uh, one set of research that looked at relationship relationship um, stability actually said that lesbian relationships were the most unstable. Not because lesbians are less committed to relationships, but because you just have two women. You just have two women who are capable of really, really, really caring about what's the quality of this relationship that I'm in. Men tend to be less focused on that. They want a few things from their relationships and then they're fine. And so what that means is men oftentimes do not listen to their wives or the women in their life who keep telling them they're not pleased with the relationship. Mm -hmm. And so one of the main things I tell men is don't do that Mm -hmm. as a man, as a man who honestly has done that some Mm -hmm. don't do that because the the most common thing that happens in post-industrial societies like ours where divorce is workable and where child support is enforced is that there, uh, women will get to a point where they'll they'll complain for a few years, then they'll get quiet for a few years, mm. and then they'll plan their escape for a year, mm-hmm. and then they will leave. Mm-hmm. And yeah. if when they leave, the guy goes, oh, wait, 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 wait. No, 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 I love you. It's over. Like she is psychologically- It's three years in an, too late. It's way too late. She, it's irreparably gone. She's gone. And I've, yeah. you just see this over and over again. One psychologist called it walk away wife syndrome. Mm-hmm. And it's completely understandable. It's still wicked for the mm-hmm. woman to do that. But- men really should have done something long before. Mm-hmm. And that makes it, that makes marriage counseling impossible Yeah, seven years later because there's just too much resentment built up. And the man at that point will be like, baby, I'm sorry. I did all that stuff wrong. I'm so sorry. And so all of a sudden he wants absolution from seven years of misuse of her. Mm-hmm. And she's just supposed to forgive him and let go of all of that resentment she's built up. Mm-hmm. And it's, and she should, but the number of women who do, that's such a huge gut check. It's so hard. It's almost like it, it, I, it appears to be as difficult as forgiving a sexual abuser. Mm-hmm. In terms of the women I've counseled, their ability to forgive mm-hmm. sins perpetrated against them. Mm-hmm. Statistically speaking, in terms of how many women have actually been able to do that, it's almost none. Mm-hmm. Whereas I've seen many women come to the place where they were able to forgive a sexual abuser. And so men do not be flippant about this. If you're, you some women are just babies about the relationship, mm-hmm. but you need to do everything you can to recognize that one of the things your wife wants to get out of this relationship is a high quality of relationship. Mm-hmm. And if you deny her that, you are denying her the main thing she wants out of this relationship besides security. Nick, I think one of the challenges men have to work through is how to handle the stress at work and keeping that from bringing, making negative relationships at home. Absolutely. With the spouse and then with the children. So I don't know if they, if coping mechanisms need to be better developed in husbands so that they don't bring yeah. that that negativity home. Yeah. Have you ever heard of the, like the, um, there was this rule that it, I actually read it in a life magazine. I found in it in the, like in this like hidden drawer in my grandparents at thing there, they had all these life magazines saved from the forties and fifties mm-hmm. and I was flipping through them and it had, it was like, like VE day. Life magazine, you know, and I'm flipping through and there are like little, there's little columns for wives and stuff. And there are columns like, don't be in your pajamas when your husband gets home. Like, I don't know if you know this, the reason women had aprons, the reason aprons existed was the same reason why painting smocks existed because you were going to cook in nice clothes. Well, why would a wife who's a stay at home mom cook in nice clothes? 
Well, it's because it was their practice to be dressed as nicely and have their hair done as nicely as the women their husbands had worked with all day. Mm-hmm. Because it wasn't, it was their husband's job to be faithful, but it was their job to make it easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And so one of the things, so one of the things that was practiced for this is one of the rules that they said was when your husband comes home, there should be a space in a period of time where you don't touch him. So he comes home and for like a half an hour or 40 minutes, he's, he goes out to the garage. He goes into his empty box space in his chair, but you don't mess with him for 30 minutes or 45 minutes. And then you or the kids, as opposed to the modern stay at home mom who's college educated, who's somewhat angry at her husband for being gone all day and who feels put upon by the boring problems that, right? The husband comes home and she goes, here's your child. Mm-hmm. The first second. Yeah. And then the man, what the man hears is, you don't think what I do is as hard as what mm-hmm. you do. You don't think I'm making sacrifices for this family. And it, it just creates problems. Mm-hmm. I think um, I, I saw that in my parents growing up. Where that was true. Where my, my dad came home and more often than not, he took a nap <laughs> as yeah. soon as he got home for 15 minutes. But mm-hmm. he, he napped and still does like every single day. Mm-hmm. I think I inherited that from him. But I, yeah. I saw that in the way that my parents did that. And for as a kid for a long time, I didn't understand it. And so I'm sure my mom tried to explain it to me and maybe, I don't know. But but it was true in my family that there was time and space where he got home from work and there was a rest period. And I didn't really understand it even until even probably more fully this moment. It was helpful. I also heard, uh, I was listening to a podcast once recently that has been very helpful for me. So this could be something that you say too, because I think that's helpful that you, you spoke a lot to the men, but right. to the women. Um, this woman said in the podcast, um, you know, when your husband is staying late at work, it's not because he doesn't care about you and your children. It's because he cares about you and your children. He's trying to excel at his job. He's trying to advance at his job. He wants to provide you for you. He wants to care for you. So when your husband comes home later than you expected him to, you want to say, the first thing you want to say is, where have you been? But really, the first thing that you should say to your husband is to say, hey, thank you for working so hard at work. I appreciate it. And, um, I heard that not even, it was probably like two months ago, three months ago, mm-hmm. but I, it helped me shift my perspective for the times where that's been true with Scott. And it has helped when he comes home. And I've said that, I mean, it just, for him to hear that from me is huge for him instead of hearing like, well, where have you been? You said you were going to be home a half hour ago. Definitely unexpected. So in that conversation, I do think there is that, I, I don't know if, how much you'll go into that if you preach on that part of it. But if you no, do, but it's now forever recorded on this podcast, well, which is the is. reason we did this. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the secrets of marriage, this is kind of getting a feel from this now, but one of the secrets of marriage is praise and thank your spouse for what they're supposed to do. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. It, that know? goes such a long way. Yeah. Because most of what your spouse does for you is the Just stuff they're supposed, they're to, supposed do. to do. Yeah. Yeah. You know, okay, so I only have yeah. like seven minutes to get through the rest of these. So, <laughs> friend, so friendships, I basically say... Even if you're an introvert, you still should have at least three quality friendships who are outside of your family, people who, who depend on you and you depend on. And if you don't, you should invest in that, and that matters, and so on. Um, six, neighbors. Um, Jesus told us to love our neighbors, like the actual literal concrete people, not to love humanity or the poor as abstractions. And these are the people that God has put us around. Yeah. It's, and the biggest difficulty with your neighbors is to not be too weird as a Christian yeah. unnecessarily, mm-hmm. but, but really you have to overcome the separations. Modern life is designed for you never to know your neighbor. There's and some, so you've got to work at it. There's some good chapters in screw tape letters that you could quote in regards to that, like okay. loving your actual actual neighbor. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think yeah, he takes that from Chesterton too. I think. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's great. It's great. Yeah. So um, yeah, and if you're listening to this and you haven't read the Screw Tape Letters, uh, unless you don't like to read or think, it's. I mean, it is one of the best Christian books. I've learned the most about my own spirituality and my own psychology, Christianly speaking, from that book than any other single volume. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's a really, really great annotated version out on Amazon right now. It's like footnotes everything that's a historical referent and there's space mm-hmm. in the margins to write. It's so great. Anyway, okay. mm-hmm. I'm reading it again right now for like the 57th time. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then seven is citizenship, which is what you owe the social order. And that may be a number of things, but you should, but, but the key for citizenship, stewarding your citizenship is you should know what they are. Mm-hmm. So for me, the way I think of it is um, I owe the culture my informed vote when possible. Um, I owe obedience to all laws that are not unbearably unjust. I owe support to the social fabric and personal morality, at Mm -hmm. least. I also believe that I owe draft service to my country if we Mm -hmm. really are attacked from the outside, Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. I need to be ready to fight and die for the freedom of the people who live in the society I live in. There's a few others, but I think Christians should sit down and make, maybe make a list of like, what do I believe are my, what do I owe? Mm -hmm. And for some people it may be like, it might include things like composting, and minimizing my trash and things like that. And I think mm-hmm. those are all reasonable kinds of things. Mm-hmm. But have like an idea of what that is and then you can steward it, I think. Yeah. And in terms of informed voting, I mm-hmm. think for most people, because government has gotten so complex and it's so wrapped up in very complicated policies and macroeconomic theories, I think for most people, they're going to choose to believe someone about how they should vote and what direction that they should go. And all I can say is, therefore, use mm-hmm. Christian faith to learn as much as you can about human nature so that you judge who you're going to trust well yeah. and yeah. better. Mm-hmm. Totally. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense. Okay. And then let's just, let's use the, our last couple minutes on work ed- work and productivity and the body of Christ. Yeah. Um, so um, here's what I said about work and education. This is investing your competence and productivity. Seek to be productive. Productivity is a huge part of your life. Increase your competence. Increase your expertise through practice, education, or mentoring in order to increase your productivity. Compete and cooperate. Let's not go into that right now. And then move out of move up out of love, not avarice. I think that's one of the key ideas that I haven't ever heard anybody else say, which is one of the reasons you should try to move up mm-hmm. is because there are less competent and capable people in the world that need to express their productivity to fulfill the image of God in them. And if you sit at a lower level than you're capable of because of out of laziness or, or lack of good ambition, mm-hmm. then what happens is you're taking their spot the spot that they really need. But you have the capacity to move up. And as you move up, you're actually freeing openness, places for people to work and be productive below where you're working. But also as you move up, hopefully your productivity is is actually producing broadly more spaces mm-hmm. so that you're producing an increased amount of possible employment. And employment is what people need. They need a way to mm-hmm. employ their capacity for productivity, not least because they need to make money, but mainly because they don't feel fully human unless they can put their hand to something they feel matters. Mm-hmm. And so um, I believe that that Christians particularly should try to move up out of love, mm-hmm. not avarice. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, this is not part of what you have listed here, but this is mm-hmm. something I've been thinking a little bit relating to work is I think it's good for people to ask God to give them a vision, a greater vision for what their work is for. Um, mm-hmm. And so, and I especially think of this relating to entrepreneurs and business owners. Mm-hmm. Um, I think 
So here's one quick example. I follow on Instagram a clothing store based in Los Angeles. And the woman who owns it is a Christian. She kind of blew up overnight. They sell clothes. And like they, in their Instagram stories, it's just showing you a bunch of different clothes. But they have intentionally tried to create a really kind community. And then also recently in some of the fires, their neighborhood was burned in California, but their house was one of the only houses that stayed um, fully intact. And she had asked for a lot of people to pray. But then what she did is she listed two neighbors who lost everything. And she said, here's what they need. And here is how you can help them. And she has a hundred thousand people following her. And these families are going to get physical things that they need because they've lost every single thing that they own. And so uh, when you preached recently, Nick, and you talked about how does God want you to steward what your face looks like, like how Mm -hmm. that really struck me. And I hadn't thought about some of just different types of things. And this happened. And I saw, I think this is a woman who's really stewarding. This is just a fashion line and Mm -hmm. it's clothing, but she has a grander vision for how God might use her business Mm -hmm. to bless other people. And she's doing things, partnering with foster care programs and adoption things. Mm -hmm. So I think that is something that especially business owners can think through like, I'm doing a trade, but how can God use this Mm -hmm. in a, in a way that I couldn't have even imagined? Yeah. So do you have a comment? People, um, struggle to see how their work ties into the kingdom. And I think the church is doing a better job. I think about uh, what I've been at high point 15 or so years. Uh, we're doing a better job at teaching how the image of God and faith and work connect than I've ever experienced in my Christian walk. But mm-hmm. nonetheless, there seems to be a, a constant more. need for more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. For those listening who like to research and read and stuff like that, um, the website made to flourish mm-hmm. made to flourish, mm-hmm. uh, is one of the best single places clearing houses of this kind of stuff that I know of. It's great. And, um, you, you can even join and they'll send you free books and stuff. It's, it's really, it's really a great resource. Mm-hmm. Okay. Lastly, let's talk a little bit. So, so part of the body of Christ is we should be part of the body of Christ. So let's mm-hmm. use our last two or three minutes here mm-hmm. on resources and wealth. I, as a pastor talk very little about you should give your money. And this is to the great consternation of some of our finance people, though our budget has, I think, maybe tripled in my tenure because I I teach discipline and generosity and then I let people do stuff. So Mm -hmm. there's a couple things I want to say about money. So you tell me. One is you have resources, time, and expertise. And that those are resources, right? So the question is how are you going to use them to cause the flourishing of God's righteousness and the flourishing of his kingdom. Seeking for, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So you take your resources and you do that. So there's a couple things I've said. One is uh, for giving, I have always used a benchmark, something that's a reality check for me that if I'm not reaching it, I'm, my heart's probably not in the right place. For me, that has always been the biblical tithe, that 10% of every dollar I see, that's what I use. Some people argue mm-hmm. about whether you should give out of your gross or your net income. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously every dollar I see is net, not gross. Mm-hmm. Um, what I would say is, whichever one of those is right, you should pick one. Mm-hmm. Um, in the in the Old Testament, it's probably what would be closer to what we call gross, but the government in America takes much more than the Israelite government took, and so there you could argue about that. But I've always used ten percent of every dollar mm-hmm. I see as a baseline to start from for mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. And so, Alexa and I've always given ten percent of every dollar we see, and um, th- and then we try to get beyond that. Mm-hmm. So that's first. The second is though using a benchmark is a good like help. Um, it's not what I I don't say that's what I'm required to give and that's it. 
um, because the New Testament doesn't use the concept of the tithe directly. It's only mentioned once in the whole New, whole New Testament, and it's kind of beside the point of the point. Um, what, what Paul always says is like, think about what you've received in Christ, how richly God has given to you. Mm-hmm. Now give whatever you want. And so I'm, I need to give out of grace and out of a response to God's generosity. And so there's almost no limit then to what I could give. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. the question just is how much, am, is, so what I give is t- really tied into where my heart is. Mm-hmm. And I think that's supposed to be like that because it allows me to be tested by something very concrete. And then I, then there's two things I commonly say to people, give out of your budget, not out of your wallet and to give in a disciplined way, not in a sporadic way. So Alexi and I always look at what we're going to make in the year and then we make a budget and then we determine what we're going to give on the basis of our budget, not what anybody ever asks us for. Mm-hmm. If we want, I want to have money for people sporadically asking, that has to be money that I've budgeted to for. give to sporadic askers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. What do you guys want to say about this? We got FPU going uh, on right now. And uh, now that I am an empty nester, I'm finding I need to take another closer look at my finances. I seem to have a little freer uh, uh, access to money and I want to manage it well. So I'm taking FPU now. So, yeah, for uh, those listening who might not know, FPU is Financial Peace University associated yeah. with Dave Ramsey. We, we yeah. run it at High Point at least once a year. It's not the only financial class there is, but because Ramsey focuses a lot on the psychology of spending. Mm-hmm. In ways other classes don't, we find it to be more helpful for people because it is doing the right thing with your money is more of a fine, a psychological battle than it is anything else. Yeah. And so uh, FPU has been great for us, great for you guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think that the things that you have on here are not, even though to you, they, I mean, you've been living that way for years and years and years. Yeah. When I heard it for the first time, like, Plan. I remember you saying we plan in our budget because we know come summertime we're going to have a bunch of college students ask us to support their summer mission trips and so we plan for that. I was like, "Oh my goodness, you can plan for that." <laughs> so it was so I just think remember that some of these are not uh these are new things to some of the people who are listening even though for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's old news. And we so we don't consider this part of our like tithe, our baseline giving mm-hmm. to the local right. church, mm-hmm. yeah. but we consider like money we spend on hospitality. To be part of the yes. call of generosity. That was so. So that we was actually thing we learned from you having right. a hospitality line. Mm-hmm. So we have a budget. So we set our our usually that's grocery bills. What mm-hmm. that turns out to be for us. Right. Mm-hmm. So our grocery in our grocery bill, there's a certain amount of money which is like 140 dollars a month, built into our grocery money. Because I I remember looking at our grocery amount. And I was like, Alexi, this is an ungodly amount of money we spend on groceries. And she's like, maybe, but there is there are six of us. And here's the thing. <laughs> When you people come over to this house, do you want me to have food for them? Right. Mm-hmm. And she's like, this is what it costs. And so, yep. yeah, we have like another 150. So when, some months we don't entertain as much mm-hmm. and we don't have it. But but that costs money to, to yes. show hospitality, to love others, to open your home to people. Yep. That all costs money. And that all is generosity. Mm-hmm. And so what I encourage people to do is to try to reach some kind of starting benchmark that you give to the local church. Yeah. Yeah. Because you... Not only does the local church need that support to do the work of God, read the last chapters of Nehemiah about not neglecting the house of God, which I think does carry over to the New Testament. But there's also the issue of like your heart should be tied into your local church. Yes. Mm-hmm. You yes. should care so much about what's happening there and, and, and giving thousands of dollars right. to it right. will help. Right. But then in addition after, to that, these other things. Mm-hmm. Coming Go after ahead. the church and the body of Christ, like that's, that's the motivation for it. Mm-hmm. Because we... I mean, these are, uh, this is another thing that Scott and I both learned here when we were first married that like 
a lot of Christians don't want to call themselves Christians or don't want to call themselves evangelical because they, those are, you know, testy words right now. <laughs> but mm. I'm a Christian. I'm a part of the body of Christ and I can't separate myself from that even if they're, and, and in doing so, it's me thinking, well, am I thinking that I'm better than other Christians? Like, no, I, there are ways that I also, even though I don't want to, don't fully give honor to the name of Christ in the ways that I want to. Yeah. So anyway, I think coming after that point and saying, okay, so you believe in the local church, you're a part of the local church, so we partner with the local church. Mm-hmm. Right. So when, I think this people hearing that will be dependent on how well they hear what comes before that. Yeah, when, when families can give 10% to the, to the Lord as a minimum and then save at least 10%, they can begin to break free into financial freedom yeah. and uh, and then be able to make some investments because they'll have margin. Yeah. 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 That and other great stuff are taught in the FPU class and Lloyd's been in it. Um, and so if you haven't taken that, even if you feel like your finances are pretty good, like Lexi yeah. and I, I mean, we didn't live paycheck to paycheck. We always had good balances in our, in our savings account, even when we didn't make hardly any money and we took FPU and it changed our lives. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We took it the first year that we were married and it was huge for us. Yeah. For and for some for a lot of people it's for people who are good with their money generally, mm-hmm. there's still one or two principles mm-hmm. in it that will transform your financial life. For us, it was paying yourself first that you pay into your savings at the beginning of the month. You don't see if you have it left over at the end of the month. For us, that was absolutely critical and incredibly important, and it's made a huge difference in our ability to save for our children and for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for us, me just knowing that when I buy stuff with credit cards, you tend to spend about 30% more than you would if you had cash in your hand. And that kind of changed my life too. Just knowing that I still buy most of my stuff with credit cards. I don't do cash envelopes, but just knowing that fact unmasked some of my tendencies and it was very, very helpful. So, all right. Any last words from you guys? You got a lot of stuff here. Yeah. (laughs) I think the things that as I'm looking through the, the, what are there? 10? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, The ones to me that seem to be easiest for our culture to not think about are time and physical body. Mm. So those may be the ones that you want to be extra, um, like say something extra grabby to get their attention. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because I just think we think about some of the other ones, but so I don't know that they need more time, but those are probably the ones that we think about the least as Mm -hmm. Americans. Mm -hmm. And you just have to think through what you want to drive home yeah. you know uh if you if you stay focused on certain areas you can drive it home and people might change <laughs> and if you get a lot people will like yeah yeah but will they leave with it that's the and question that's always the question pastors have to figure out we could, when they I, preach. We could easily do a sermon series on each one of these right? Right? yes that's and exactly don't right lead, don't leave the one that you want to talk about the most to the end to the end no, don't do that that don't doesn't do that. go yeah. well for you <laughs> yeah yeah maybe i'll talk about mike about a christian ed class that goes over all 10 of these yeah people might be interested but Mm -hmm. all right well i'll have to edit it down you guys thanks for helping me with this Mm -hmm. and uh hopefully people who hear the sermon and are disappointed with with what was cut out will have gotten a lot from this yeah so yeah great see you next time thanks for listening to this episode of the engage and equip podcast if you'd like to find more episodes, you can go online to highpointchurch.org slash podcast. You can also find us online on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, and other apps like that. 
We hope this episode was helpful to you as you grow in becoming a substantive disciple and a part of the local church. If this episode was helpful to you, rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or otherwise share this episode with a friend. Those are some of the best ways that we have to reach new listeners. So until next time, thanks for listening to this episode of Engage and Equip.